Ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. It was worth driving over the mountain just to hear the first message. I mean that. And uh, you know when you're in the presence of God, isn't it wonderful? It doesn't matter who else's presence you're in as long as the Lord is there. And uh, wonderful. And Brother Philip, praying for you. Thank God for your faithfulness and praying for you and for your family. And may the Lord keep his hand on you. A lot of friends here this morning. I'm sure glad to see all of you. And uh, glad to be back in this fellowship meeting. I've always enjoyed being a part of this through the years, and I uh, love Brother Cofield, and thank you for the invitation, and appreciate your prayers for us. We've gone through the biggest transition of my life over the last couple of months. Uh, I've been uh, with Brother Sexton for about 20 years, and uh, it's been a great journey. The Lord has been so gracious to us and had a part in training lots of people and in being trained, and I'm grateful to God for that. About 14 months ago, the Holy Spirit started just stirring me up. Uh, for revival work and gospel work. And, uh, you know, you argue with the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever argue with the Holy Spirit? And uh, you can only do that so long. And um, I finally knew what the Lord wanted me to do. And I remember the night I sat down with the preacher and I said, I don't want to tell you what I'm about to tell you. And I didn't. But I knew this was the Lord. And uh, God started opening doors and giving divine confirmations. And I'm grateful to God for that. And so for the last little over two months, we've been in full-time work and evangelistic work. I've been traveling for years preaching, but it's a totally different world, just popping in and out, in and out occasionally, and uh, being on the road all the time. And so we're adjusting to all of that, but God's been very faithful to us, and I thank you for your prayers. We need your prayers. Uh, I have a little paper in the back. If you go out the middle door in the back of the auditorium, right there on that little podium, if you'll put your name and your email address on it, I won't share it with anybody, but every month or two, I'm going to send out a little update about what God is doing and how you can help us pray and that kind of thing. Some folks have asked how they could stay in touch, and I'd love to add you to that list of prayer partners and try to communicate with you from time to time. But I do appreciate your prayers. And uh, honestly, if we said amen right now and went and ate whatever it is they have prepared, it would have been worth coming today. Uh, my heart has been blessed. I want you to take the Word of God with me, if you will, please, and turn to the next to the last book of the Bible, the book of Jude today. And I bring you to one verse, a verse that I think is often overlooked in this little epistle. What a, what a letter it is. I wish you had the time to read the whole thing. I would challenge you to read Jude with some regularity. I think we're living in Jude. That's where we're living. And there's so much truth for us. And by the way, I like what our brother said about the soon return of Christ. Look, he may come before I finish preaching today. Can you imagine what that would be like? Oh, I'd like to go to heaven from Dalton, Georgia. I'd like to go to heaven from anywhere. But can you imagine if all of us took out of here at the same time, what a glorious thing that would be. And it could be today. But until it comes, until he comes, there's a work for us to do. And in the midst of the work, there are battles. You ever have a battle? All of us have them. 
And by the way, they take different forms, but they are inevitable. When you come to the book of Jude in verse number 9, you find a very interesting truth. As a matter of fact, for years I read this and I thought, I wonder why God gave us this. You all still believe every word of Scripture is given by inspiration of God? I do too. I don't think God uses fillers. So everything here is for our benefit. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. By the way, may I just pause and say that's the only conversation you should ever have with the devil. That's it. Look, the devil likes to have conversations, doesn't he? How'd the first temptation start? Well, the conversation. There's some conversations that are not profitable. And you start conversing with the devil, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to lose that debate. You're going to lose that conversation. The only conversation you should ever have with the enemy is, the Lord rebuke thee. By the way, that's all you have to say. Because the Lord does rebuke him. I was meditating this morning in Malachi where the Bible says that the Lord will rebuke the devourer for our sake. I don't know about you, but I'm praying that for my life, praying that for my family, praying that for you today. The Lord rebuke thee. But here's the phrase I want you to mark in your Bible. In verse number 9, the Bible says, when contending with the devil. It does not say if. It says when. Michael had his time. All of God's servants have had their times, and you're going to have your time. Some of you are in it right now. And normally when we go to the book of Jude, we talk about contending for the faith. Back up to verse number 4. Excuse me, verse number 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, I've marked in my Bible in verse 3, contend for the faith, and in verse 9, contending with the devil, and I've connected the two in my Bible. Because I want to say to you this morning, if you're going to contend for the faith, you always have to contend with the devil. Some people have this crazy notion that to contend for the faith is just go to meetings and preach and have a good time and fellowship and we're all enjoying everything and being together. And look, that's part of it. But if you're going to contend for the faith, that takes you into the realm of the devil, into his territory near the gates of hell, and I guarantee you the devil's not going to like it and he's not going to leave you alone when you do it. I don't know about you, but I want to contend for the faith. I grew up in the hills of West Virginia. I was glad to hear you ripping on Alabama today, not West Virginia. That's very good. And my granddaddy was an old mountain preacher from the hills. He was rough as a cob, I'm telling you. Uh, he, he went through about the sixth grade in school, I think, and had an old tent. He'd move around from place to place and set it up and preach for about six weeks and get a bunch of people saved and start a church, move on to it again. And uh, he did some things he shouldn't have done. Preachers say things sometimes they shouldn't say. You know what I'm talking about? He got up in the church, got carried away one night and said, bless God, there's two things no church needs. That's a clock on the wall and a busy-bodied woman, and this church has got both of them. That wasn't a very nice thing to say. And he didn't stay in that church very long either, let me tell you. But you know what he did? He died when he was 57. You know what he did? He contended for the faith in his generation. And I am praying, and I need your prayers. Would you pray for me? I am praying that if God will give me health and breath and strength, 
God will allow me to contend for the faith in my generation. Look, we need another generation of young men coming along who love God, who are committed to the Scriptures, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who believe the gospel and are giving their life to contending for it. But I'm going to tell you something. This crazy idea that you can do it and it's all roses and there's no battle and there's no struggle, that's not in the Bible. If you contend for the faith, you've got to contend with the devil. He is the adversary. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is ever-present fighting against God's children. Hold your place here a second. Go back with me to the book of Zechariah for just a minute, would you please? We'll come back to this little verse, and I'll give you some principles in just a moment. I came across this the other day, Zechariah chapter 3, verse number 1. And by the way, Zechariah is in the Bible. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, Zechariah. Told somebody the other day, find the place where the pages are sticking together and you're getting close. Look at Zechariah chapter 3, verse number 1. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Stop there just a moment. Can you imagine the high priest of God making the sacrifices, standing in the holy place, standing in the presence of the angel of the Lord? How many of you like to be there? Well, be careful what you ask for, because look at the rest of the verse. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Mm. You know who stands at the right hand? The prosecutor, the accuser of the brethren. By the way, one of the devil's chief works among preachers is he functions as the accuser. He's a liar and the father of it. And I'll tell you one thing, I don't want to be one of his cohorts. I don't want to open my mouth against one of God's servants. An old man who'd been in the Lord's work a long time took me out for lunch several years ago, and we had a good fellowship, and he had had a great deal of struggle in his life nearing the end of the journey. He was trying to give me some helpful advice, and I appreciated it. We got ready to leave the table, and he said to me, Scott, I want to give you a piece of advice, and I want you to listen to me very carefully. He got very stern with me. You wouldn't know this man. He said to me, if you want the Lord to bless and use your life, do not speak against God's servants. I'll never forget what he said. He said, now, I know what I'm talking about. He said, if you want God to take his hand off of you, nothing will do it any quicker than when you begin to speak against another one of his children and his servants. I'm going to tell you, hundreds of times in the last few years, hundreds I've opened my mouth to say something, and the Holy Ghost has said, ah, 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 and reminded me of that conversation. Look, it is the work of the devil to stand at the right hand of the man of God and to accuse him, accusing him to God and God to him and him to others and others to him. That's the devil's work. That's not God's work. By the way, look at verse 2. And the Lord said unto Satan, see, this sounds familiar. The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Oh, I wish you had time to talk about that last phrase. That's a great one. John Wesley had that verse with a picture of a burning house. He had been saved as a boy from a fire, a burning house. Kept that over, over his, his fireplace in his home all of his life in ministry. Is not this a brand plucked from the burning? 
Study it for yourself through history. Zechariah chapter 3, verse number 2 is one of God's great verses, and many of God's greatest servants have taken this as their favorite Bible verse, and yet it's obscure to so many of us. So here is the man of God standing in the presence of God. May I say to you, at your highest, holiest moment, the devil is there. The devil is there. You want to know when the devil fights? Get down on your knees to pray. Look, I've never had such foul thoughts as when I'm trying to commune with God. Any of you ever had that problem? Let me tell you why it is. Because the adversary trembles at the thought of the man of God entering into the presence of the creator God of the universe. And he does everything he possibly can to keep that from happening. By the way, your greatest battle and my greatest battle is not in the pulpit, it's in the prayer closet. You read Daniel chapter 10. Daniel's praying and fasting for days on end. Finally, the angel of the Lord arrives with the answer, with the word from God. And what does he say? 21 days I've been hindered from coming to you. Read it for yourself. He says, the moment you prayed, your prayer was answered in heaven. And the Father sent the answer, and I've been 21 days trying to get to you because that prince from Persia, that's the devil, withstood me. I like the rest of it. He said, Michael the archangel was sent to assist me, and I'm here now. (laughs) Look, while we're laboring and working here in the realm that we see, there is a whole lot going on in the realm that we do not see. I'm not trying to be spooky or mystical today. I'm just saying to you, we're in spiritual work. We're on the front lines. Look, and in the heat of the battle, the adversary is doing everything he can to stop those who are trying to contend for the faith. With that in mind, I want you to go back with me to the book of Jude. And I'd like to give you three simple little thoughts, and all of them come from this one verse, just one verse today. Three little thoughts about when contending with the devil. Number one, would you write it down? When contending with the devil, first, you must always remember who the devil is. Who is he? He is God's enemy. Now, please hear what I'm about to say to you. Somebody says, he's my enemy. Oh, listen to me. He's God's enemy. You know how the devil hates you and hates me? You really think it's because we're that important? You know what we are? We're dressed up pipsqueaks. That's what we are. Look, I'm a speck of dust on the page of human history. I am a black-hearted, hell-deserving sinner and nothing apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. I deserve hell. That's all I ever deserved. I am nothing. You know why the devil hates me? Because God loves me. The devil doesn't hate me because I'm important. The devil hates me because I'm important to Jesus. And the devil knows if he can damn a soul, he can grieve the heart of the Savior. He knows if he can destroy a home, he grieves the heart of the heavenly father. He knows if he can get some of God's children out of the way and away from fellowship, oh, he strikes at the heart of the loving father who desires so much for them. And I remind you today that everything God ordains, Satan opposes. Everything. So when God's at work, just get ready, expect it. The devil's not going to like it one little bit. God made birds, and Satan did nothing. God made trees, and Satan did nothing. God made water, and Satan did nothing. God made grass, and Satan did nothing. 
God made man and woman, and Satan went to work. And I want to tell you, God hates every man in this room. All these preachers that stood. I love preachers. I really do. I grew up in a preacher's home, and uh, I love preachers. I was thinking, praying about it last night. I'm so grateful. Part of the work that I want to do is just to encourage God's men. I mean that. I worked for the same pastor for a long time. And I know preachers have battles. Some of you are in the heat of it right now. I want to tell you something. The devil wants you. Satan had desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But Jesus says, but I've prayed for thee. Oh, I like the fact Jesus is praying for me. Look, he's praying for you right now. How many of you today have had anybody tell you they were praying for you? Would you raise your hand? Already today you've had somebody tell you. That's good. I like that. I like it when people say it and they mean it, not when they say it and they're lying about it. I like it when they're praying for me. I know I've got people praying for me this morning, but I have the most wonderful thought. If not a soul on earth remembered to pray for me today, Jesus is praying for me right now. Robert Mary McShane said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies. Then he stopped and said, but the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Look, the devil may be standing in your face at your right hand, but the Lord Jesus is praying for you. And by the way, Jesus always gets his prayers answered. When you're contending with the devil, you must remember who the devil is. Hold your place here and go back with me to 1 Chronicles for just a moment, would you please? To 1 Chronicles chapter number 21. Let me show you something. I came across this week and God really used it to speak to me. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. I'm trying to take you to books we don't normally go to, aren't I? 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1. And Satan stood up. By the way, he likes to do that, doesn't he? He rears his ugly head up. Satan stood up against Israel. And how did he stand up against the whole nation of Israel? Look at the rest of the verse, 1 Chronicles 21.1. And provoked David to number Israel. By the way, you know when this happened? If you back up to chapter number 20, it happened at one of the periods of greatest victory. Descendants of Goliath of Gath have been taken down a notch. The enemy has been defeated. Everybody's rejoicing And at that moment of great success and great blessing and everybody's feeling strong, at that moment, the devil sneaks in. By the way, it doesn't take much room for a serpent to slither through, does it? And that's what he is. He's still the old serpent. And here's why I bring you to this verse. Because sometimes we have this crazy notion, well, I tell you, the devil's giving me fits. There's too much me in our conversation. Listen to me. David, the devil's after you because the devil's after others. And if he can get you, he can hurt others. As a matter of fact, it wasn't about David. Did you know later in this chapter, 70,000 men are going to die? 70,000 men are going to die because one man let the devil get in. That's why the Bible says, neither give place to the devil. Go back with me to Jude. Let me show you something here about the devil and how he works. The Bible says in verse number 9, yet Michael, the archangel. Would you make a note somewhere that the devil's primary targets are those who are on mission for God? They're on mission. 
You know what Michael was doing? Michael wasn't strumming a harp. No. Michael wasn't just hanging around. Michael was on a mission, a very specific one for Jehovah God. Most Bible teachers believe that he was the one bearing the body of Moses. That, that's what this is a reference to. As a matter of fact, this takes you all the way back to Deuteronomy 34 when Moses went up to the top of Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, to the pinnacle, and looked over in the promised land, and God said, there it is, Moses. I'm going to let you see it, but you can't go in. And the Bible says he died there, and God buried him over there in the valley in the land of Moab. And no man, read it in Deuteronomy 34, no man knows the place of his sepulcher unto this day. I've been up on Nebo and looked over in the promised land from where you might imagine Moses may have been and imagine what it must have been like to meet God up there and then God bury you. The Orthodox, they know where he's buried. They charge about $10 a head to get in to see it. But other than that, nobody else knows the place of his burial until this day. And I think Michael was the one performing the funeral. Why did the devil want the body of Moses? Nobody knows exactly. Some people have surmised exactly what you said, that Israel was so prone to idolatry and had such regard for the man of God that if the devil could have taken this body, he could have made an idol out of him and detoured them from the Lord. And, of course, the Lord wasn't going to let that happen. You know what I take from this? The devil fought the man of God all the way to death. And I'm just going to tell you, he's going to fight every one of us all the way to the day we see Jesus face to face. Every day. And you know why he's after you? Because you're on a mission for God. Matter of fact, you you and I are no angels, are we? But you know what the word angel means? Messenger. You know what you are? You're God's messenger. You know what I am this morning? I'm not a guy here preaching a sermon. I'm the Lord's messenger boy. It's not my message. I don't have to preach a good sermon today. It's the Lord's message. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm the Lord's messenger. And as the Lord's messenger, the devil will stand against you. When contending with the devil, number one, remember who the devil is. Number two, oh, this is tough. When contending with the devil, remember who you are. Remember who you are. So I said, Michael, the archangel. By the way, a little nugget of thought here. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 18 says that it is the archangel who will sound the voice and the trump at the return of Christ. How'd you like to preach that sermon? How'd you like to be the voice that will be used on the day Jesus comes for his church? That's an honor. Would you say that's an honor? But be careful now. Because even the one given that honor, the one given the highest message and the greatest assignment among the angels, said, you know what? I don't have the power and strength to deal with the devil. Remember who the devil is. He's God's enemy, God's adversary. But look, please, remember who you and I are. We are dependent servants in desperate need of our master. Second Peter said it this way, that the angels were of greater power and might than men. That's true. But listen to me. Michael acknowledged that he did not have enough power and might to overcome the devil. He needed the power and might of the creator God. Men, could I just talk with you for a moment? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how well we can put a sermon together, how long we've been speaking, how much experience we have, uh, what others think of us. We are in desperate need of the Lord. 
I'm in desperate need of the Lord. I need him. If I don't have him, I'm going to fail. If I don't have him, I'm going to bring reproach to Christ's name and grieve God. If I don't have him, my children will someday be ashamed of me. If I don't have him, I need the Lord. You need the Lord. F.B. Meyer said, when I was a young minister, I thought that God's blessings and gifts were like wrapped presents placed on shelves one above another so that the higher man went in his experience and knowledge of God, the more access he had to all of God's goodness. Meyer said, as an old preacher, I want to confess I was wrong. God's blessings are like wrapped gifts placed on shelves one below another so that the lower a man goes, the more access he has to all of God's blessing and goodness. May I say to you, our problem is we're not low enough. We're not low enough. I so want to see revival in our generation, don't you? But we're not ready for it. No. No, because we're so full of us. There's not room for the Lord. We're so proud of our own accomplishments that there's not room for Jesus to get the glory he's worthy of. When you're contending with the devil, you remember this. The devil likes pride. He works well in those confines. Matter of fact, turn back a couple pages in your Bible. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 for just a minute. We quote this verse, and we quote it, and everybody says, Amen, brother, amen. Look at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And everybody says, Amen. Would you notice, please, the context of that text? Look at verse number 1. The elders, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be clothed, be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud. Man, I don't want God to resist me. I don't want the Lord to hold me at arm's length. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. How many of you need grace today? That's how you get it. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Hey, Michael, how'd you like to sound the trumpet? Yes, Lord, that's what you want. But you don't get that by taking that to yourself. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And then it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. Look, the adversary, the, the, the devourer, the roaring lion is after the shepherds. He's after the elders. And by the way, do you know the context he does it in? He always does it in the context of pride. In a very real sense, every pitfall in life and in ministry can be rooted in this one thing, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. It's good for me just to sit and remember that I'm just a sinner. 
We clean up good for church, don't we? Spit shine and polished. We've become very professional. But we must go back again and again and say, Lord, I'm in a battle. Man, I'm in a battle, Lord. And the devil's standing right here in my face. And I don't have the power and might to deal with him. I need you, Lord. I need you. The Bible says that Michael the archangel, when disputing about the body of Moses, listen to the wording the Holy Ghost uses, would not even bring against him a railing. What's that word? Accusation. Isn't that an interesting play on words the Lord gives? Because what is the devil? He is the what? Accuser of the brethren. In other words, what Michael says is, look, I'm not going to get in his, in his game. I'm not going to deal with him like he deals with others. No, no, I'm not going to deal in a fleshly way, in a carnal way, in a base way. Look, well, you know what I need today? I need spiritual power that only the Holy Spirit can give me. When you're contending with the devil, you must remember who the devil is. He is God's enemy. When you're contending with the devil, you must remember who you are. You are a dependent servant in desperate need of your master. But I give you a third truth back in Jude 9 when contending with the devil. You must remember always who the Lord is. I like the way this verse ends. Don't you like the way it ends? If it ended with he durst not bring against him a railing accusation, that'd be defeat. But he said, say it with me, would you men? The Lord rebuke thee. Say it again, would you please? The Lord rebuke thee. Would you listen to me, gentlemen? The Lord will take care of your devil. Let the Lord take care of your devils. Martin Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. Who do you think knows the devil better than anybody? The Lord. Who do you think can take care of the devil better than you can? The one who's already put his foot on the devil's neck. The Lord rebuke thee. By the way, that devil crops his head up in lots of places, doesn't he? He's got lots of little devils running around doing his bidding. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him. Sounds a lot like the Lord rebuke him. In other words, let's not take that to ourselves. Let's not try to straighten everybody and everything out. Let's not try to fix it in our own power and might. Let's not try to make it happen and scheme our way through and talk our way over it. And let's not try to force our way through the problem. Let's give it to God and say, the Lord rebuke thee. So you get your eyes on the devil. You get your eyes on yourself alone and fail to get your eyes on Jesus. You got a mess. But when you turn your eyes upon Jesus... Oh, look full in his wonderful face. The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We must always remember who the Lord is. Men, I believe something. I believe that you're, you, men, are on the front lines. You're in the hottest part of the battle. By the way, reinforcements are coming. Hold your line. Hold your line. I have never in all these years seen such a spiritual 
conflict as I sense at this moment in so many places. How many of you sense it? I mean, everywhere I go. Several weeks ago, I was in a meeting, and we had a good meeting. The host pastor said to me, when the meeting is over tonight, I need to speak with you and the other man who's speaking. I need you to pray for me. Sure. We went to a little side room away from people. I have never in my life seen a preacher under more satanic assault than that good man was. I can see him right now in my mind's eye, lying on the floor, face down, sobbing like a baby. He said, I'm having the hardest time of my life. I'm battling. I've had more preachers say to me in the last two or three months, would you please pray for me? I've never had battles like I'm facing now. It's intensified. Can I remind you of something? The war always gets hottest just before it's over. The final skirmishes are ugly. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Sometime real soon, Michael the archangel, who didn't get to do too much talking in Jude and Hine, he's going to sound his trumpet. And the Lord is going to step out on a cloud and we're out of here. Look, please, until that happens, you keep your eyes on the Lord. You let the Lord rebuke your devils. You stay low and small so that God can be big and great. You let the Lord do what the Lord wants to do in your life and ministry so that when it's all over and the trumpet sounds, we can all rejoice around the throne together. Father, I thank you for the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. And I thank you for the sweet Holy Spirit who is our preacher. And I pray this day, I pray this day, Lord, that we might realize we are nothing and you are everything. I pray that this day the Lord would rebuke our devils. I pray for good men, good men. Faithful men, some of them have been at it two and three times as long as I've been in the Lord's work. And they're fighting some of the hottest battles they've ever been in. Oh, Lord, stand by them now. They feel like the devil's in their face. Lord, would you be very near? Would you keep us faithful? Lord, would you keep us pure? Would you keep us right? Would you make us to be holy men, partakers of thy holiness? Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? May the power of Christ rest upon us. Jesus, may we be faithful to death or till the trumpet sounds. Bless these men. Put your hand upon them. Put a hedge about us. Please, Jesus, don't let one of us be a casualty in this war. Keep us right and use us for thy glory in Jesus' name.